0: Hi, Amira. Nice to meet you. Hi,
1: hey, you know, Hina. Nice
0: to meet you too. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining today's episode of the Enabled in Academia podcast. It's lovely to have you. Um, so, just, um, do you have any like questions before we start?
1: Um, no, I think uh, ready yeah, to go. I think, uh,
0: Okay, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so my first question is obviously I am ask all my guests um, what is their greatest academic accomplishment and what are they proud of the most, and what are their research interests, etc. Okay, sure. Um, well, thank you so much for
1: inviting me to uh, <laughs> to be a guest on this podcast. Uh, that was very uh, very humbling. I'm very happy to be a part of this. Um, so yeah, for sure. Um, so. Academic achievements and research interests. Um, Well, I guess it might help to give a little bit of background into what I studied and and all of that to to understand. But um, so, my research interest well, my academic uh, background is in I did my bachelor's, master's, and PhD uh, with a focus on childhood studies, early childhood studies, Um, but throughout my PhD and now you know since completing my PhD and now in my line of work I've focused more on higher education. So um, I've always been interested in you know education, childhood and now higher education. Um, So in terms of you know my research interests um, education and in this case like in relation to disability has been a a major uh, focus of my research. in terms of, I guess, a greatest achievement, um, well, something that I, I uh, value in my research is that, so when I was doing research um, while I was studying childhood studies, I, I usually try to have a child-centered uh, focus, so doing research with children. Um, to get their perspectives on various uh, phenomenon. But now um, in higher education, I guess something that I value about my research is that I'm student focused. So um, I try to get, uh, I try to do a lot of student centered research. So research with students and getting their perspectives um, on, for example, like accessibility in, in higher education, disability, things like that. So um, yeah, I, I guess something that like, in terms of like an achievement or something that I value it would be that I I like to like the communities that I'm researching on I like to um give as much agency and voice to them as possible and do the research with them as opposed to on them or for them
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) do you mind me asking by the way um I'm actually now that I'm thinking about it how did you get into the um how did you sort of begin to pursue this interest of disability like in higher education like what motivated you to pursue this more and to research this
1: yeah that's a great question um it actually started during my phd um we okay so during the phd process you there's three stages um that usually uh, you're expected to complete, there's coursework, there's something called comprehensive examinations, and then there's the dissertation um, that you write afterwards. And during the uh, comprehensive examination um, experience, I required, um, well, I asked for some access needs to be met. And I was told that I needed an accommodation letter and I needed to go through student accessibility services. But the thing is, it wasn't a big ask. Like in this case, it was more um, just like an extension and a little bit of flexibility. Um, But I found it so fascinating that I was being sent through this rigorous and and you know it can be an invasive process. I had to go you know get medical documentation and all these things to get a letter confirming that I needed um, a bit of flexibility with the requirements and a bit of you know a bit more time um, when it was such a simple ask. And then that kind of you know I guess sprouted my my interest in this from a personal um, place because you know, then I learned a little bit more about our uh, student accessibility office, which is great. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that the support was there and I was able to get the letter of accommodation, but I was, I started to see things in more, more in terms of access for um, higher education students. Um, and yeah, that's when I kind of, you know, started to see that like the system is designed in a certain way, the education system is designed in a, in a certain way to fit very particular students, and if you know your kind of your needs, your access needs are outside of what is prescribed in that way. Then sometimes you have to jump through several hurdles in order to get you know um, better access or equity. So that's kind of what stemmed my my interest in that area
0: of <laughs> yeah. higher education. Yeah, I feel like definitely when it's personal, it's so much more like intense, and you know like you would definitely be much motivated to sort of conduct that research,
1: you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely,
0: yeah. Yeah. And one of my other questions was, um, so I actually read a really interesting piece of research from yourself, and I think it was a collaborative work. I think it was from a book, that it was from 2021. And it was sort of like, hopefully you've understood this correctly. Uh, sorry, correctly. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that you were trying to like, I think you were analysing... Um, Sort of several different children's books and sort of their depiction uh-huh. of parents. Sort of the depict their depiction of parents with disabilities, and something that was so interesting to me was that, or like shocking, was that there was only fourteen books, pictured books, that you could actually find in the, uh, that have been published. Like. I don't know, throughout several decades. And I know that this is, this is definitely probably correct because otherwise you wouldn't have had approval to publish this work. So I was so <laughs> shocked. I was like, whoa, I mean, sure, 14. Yeah. That is so yeah. underwhelming. Yeah, it was. Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, thank you for reading my work. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it was, at the time I was doing the research, yeah, those, those 14 books were the only ones that I could find within, you know, my scope of... Um, children's picture books specifically that featured a disabled parent. So there was many more books um, that featured disabled children or children with disabilities. There was a lot more with those. But I was looking for one specifically with parents and how parents and adults, um, like disabled parents or parents with disabilities are portrayed. And yeah, those were the only ones. I should say that my, I did limit it to English books and books within, you know, um, North America and the Western world, um, UK and things like that. So there may be books out there in other languages that exist. Um, but even so I would imagine there aren't very many. Um, but yeah, like less than 15 books, right. That I was able to find, um, with that scope. Um, and yeah. it's, yeah, it's interesting because, um, even though it was such a like a small number of like a small set or sample um the messages inside of them were um very profound right like you had so many of them talking about difference right like how these parents were perceived as i'm quoting here different right um or differently abled um and kind of distinguishing between like the non-disabled and the disabled as being very different um, and distinct, like groups of, of parents. But then you also had like discourses of sameness, which is which was almost trying to like reinforce a normalcy. Um, it was really interesting, yeah. Like like I, I my interest in picture books stemmed from when I uh, like my my interest in childhood studies, and then I fused that with the disability. So it was really like interesting actually going through the books and seeing the is presented and um, how those are also, like, reflected in, you know, wider, broader, um, discursive representations and discourses, in, like, in, in the public and, and through the media and stuff like that. But, yeah, it was, it was interesting.
0: Yes. And you know <laughs> why was this is so significant to me? Sorry. Like, I felt like uh-huh. um, just because... The way how... I remember a particular section of the work, and it was, like, stating that, essentially... um, I know you spoke about the concept of sameness trying to be established, how sometimes the children in the books would try and elaborate or showcase more of their parents' capabilities. They'll be like, my mummy or my parent can't do this and this, but they're able to do these tasks very well, or this sort of work instead. Um, So I really liked how there was a focus on at least the positive aspects of the adults lives and this i feel like this sort of concept also links to my podcast because i always try and like enhance positivity for the disabled community and the disabled adult student community so focusing on the students capabilities and ensuring they have the help they need is definitely um it definitely makes education much more accessible for sure
1: yes definitely and i agree with you it was really wonderful to see um ways like so it's interesting because these many of these books were written from the perspective of children but they were written by the parents themselves so that was really interesting to see um, but I agree it was nice to see that um, there was you know the, the emphasis on on um, you know the independence and autonomy um, and competence that that parents had right um, because you know as I'm sure you're familiar with like disabled people and disabled parents are often painted in a light where you know they're seen as um, very dependent on others and neglectful and incompetent. Um, so it was really nice to see that highlighted in the books. Um, and there was there were instances where um, parents were portrayed as neglectful um, and you know like even abusive in some cases. Um, but I think it's 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 important to bring that out, right, because that, like, in those cases, it might have been um, not the parent that was writing the book, but someone, you know, um, like from a clinical perspective or something like that, but um, yeah, that, that's a good, like, on that note, actually, I do want to um, kind of emphasize that in cases where um, I do mention that, like, in the books, children may have been seen as like child carers or, ne- or having a neglectful parent. Um, that doesn't extend to disabled parents and the community generally. Those are discourses that are being pulled from the books. Um, and it speaks to how they might be uh, interpreted by others as they're reading it. So. Um,
0: yeah, it was really interesting to kind of go through the go through the analysis with those books. Yes. I was also wondering, like, so I know I've said this before, but obviously the number of the books that were available were really shocking. But I was like, is it because yeah. of your criteria? I know you did mention before, but I was like, was another one of your criteria for the books maybe, like, um, for, does it have to be from the parents' perspective? Like, is that why? No, no. Um, It, it could have
1: been from anyone's perspective. I, I was... Yeah, just looking for any type of children's picture books that focused on disabled parents. Could be from the parents' perspective, from the child's perspective, from an outside perspective. And yeah, that was all I was able to find. Um, that, like you said, that was in, I think, 2021. So maybe by now there's a bit more. Um, but that wasn't so so long ago, right? So yeah, that was all that was available at that time, which was very striking. Um, yeah. Definitely, but disabled parents are a group that are that don't necessarily um, have a lot of support or focus on in you know research and stuff like that. So that speaks to that that they are definitely underrepresented in yeah in research yes. and in representation as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, and another one of my questions was sort of linking back to your point about disability representation was, do you have any sort of solutions that maybe you could suggest as to how um, disability access can be improved within higher education settings such as universities?
1: For sure, yes, Um, I have done some research on my own uh, on like interviewing Disabled students are students that identify as having a disability in higher education it hasn't been published yet, but um, from, so from the student perspective, something that continuously comes up is just listen to us, ask us what we need. Don't speak for us. You know what I mean like um, ah, so so my in terms of recommendations, I would say, Honoring that for students, and you know, if if there's a course that's being taught, take take some time before you offer the course to check in with your students, ask them what access needs they might have beforehand, don't make any assumptions, right? Um, And sure, like in higher education, um, many institutions have. Uh, student like accommodations or student accessibility offices that they can receive accommodations letters from, and that's that's great. But if there can be, you know, from like for example, a universal design for learning um, lens or approach where there can be um, strategies to enhance access for all students without relying on them providing those letters, that's great. And also just asking like asking students themselves what they need is another thing. Um, but something i think like because the thing is that puts a lot of the onus and responsibility on students and on the faculty like the the instructors themselves and i think to answer your question even more um in in more depth i think something that really needs to change also is like the systemic and institutional level right there's a lot of like attitudinal barriers to um to access and disability justice within universe but like within higher education um, I think changing perspectives on disability and how disability or even access or any of those things are viewed can, will need to to happen um, fundamentally before like we see some real change um, because as it stands as I'm sure you're you know you, you know um, disability in the public discourse outside of the disability community is seen primarily through a lens of lack or being less than or, you know, um, through a lens of like ailment, um, there's a lot of like medical models that um, kind of take priority in public discourse and public ways of thinking about disability. Um, so I would say like, we definitely need to move, you know, from the like move from the medical models more towards a social model, but also one that recognizes um, the insti- like how institutional and systemic factors can work to disable students, um, just from the outset, and you know, from the like registration and enrollment process from the get-go, basically, um, and start there, because there, there is so much, like you know, in terms of yes, students speaking up and, and saying what they what they need and, and and having their needs taken seriously, and there's there's only so much instructors can do as well, but if. The, the, the overarching culture, like the socio kind of um, socio-political culture within the institution, still views disability from a very, you know, archaic or um, uh, you know, medical kind of lens. Then there's there's a lot of limitations that you're working against within the institution as well. Um, and another thing is also. Not to like lump disabled people or people with disabilities into one category, um, <clears throat> especially within like when you're talking about like supporting disabled students in the classroom or in the or in the education system, the higher education system. They're not a homogenous group, right? Like there's um, disability, the disability community is so fast, So disabled students are going to be very diverse and have a variety of needs. There's within and between groups of students so I think that's where listening to them comes in um, really useful but also taking the time yeah to like we need to really shift the discourses around disability that are um, just permeating like higher education and you know with access being seen as like an afterthought right Um, and accommodations sometimes being seen as like a nuisance or like you know something that's you know not you know there's a lot of pushback on that as well so yeah yes. sorry
0: that was a long-winded answer. <laughs> it's fine <laughs> something i actually wanted to talk about like i just before we go is um Fair. um actually like it's so hard it's so, something so difficult about the disability community is that maybe the non-disabled just simply cannot comprehend the nature of disability because obviously they aren't experiencing it so maybe it's more difficult to okay, sympathise. Okay. Like, or even if they are trying to accommodate a disability, like even if it is their job, for example, it can still be just really yeah. difficult to understand the disabled community's needs. So that this sort of self-advocacy phenomena that the disabled community have to pursue quite often, which can be ex- tiring at times, but also positive, of course, um, mm-hmm. it can be quite complex and very difficult
1: yes yes definitely and to that i would say yes for sure and especially like we're talking about um the overarching like kind of discourse and like Like the ways that disability is understood on a more like social and public level for sure like um non-disabled folks are people that are not from disability communities exactly it might be a challenge for them to really understand this from such you know from the ways that people within the community kind of see this stuff um and to that you know something that i could that i i can um say like for example I'm an educational developer right now so I work in um, my institution York University in Toronto Canada I work in the university's teaching and learning center um, to support instructors and teaching assistants with these types of things so it could be like specific strategies um, to support Uh, access and disabled students in higher education, but it also involves shifting mindsets and and learning and relearning, right? So um, something that institutions can do is hopefully um, allocate more funding for more positions uh, within teaching and learning centers in the university to support that kind of work and to guide um, instructors and teachers and faculty, right? Um, Into understanding these issues Um, more deeply. So hire, like have the funding and hire people that are specialized in uh, like pedagogies um, that support disabled students and um, things like that, experts in that area so that they can provide the guidance to instructors so that they can learn these things and um, be more familiar. um, And just have that kind of support because for sure it's, it's definitely a challenge. It's a good point.
0: Yes. And obviously, like, with my podcast aim, it's obviously to make the audience and, like, the listeners feel much more reassured, like, even if they, you know, have a disability and they are sort of... I just want to sort of... familiarise them with some sort of solutions and I don't want to just focus on negative aspects of course and so to end it off now on a positive note um, would you recommend any further reading recommendations for the audience to maybe enhance their knowledge more on disability support in higher education?
1: Yeah, so there's a really great book by Jay Dolmage called um, Academic Ableism and it it really touches on a lot of what we've um, discussed and how to kind of, um, you know, support um, disability in higher education and move away from academic ableism. Um, There's also Mad at School by Margaret Price, which is really um, a wonderful resource as well. Um, And it really, yeah, like these, these kinds of uh, resources and, and readings really amplify the voices of disabled people. And, and yeah, I think they, they would be um, delightful reads and really, um, really enlightening <laughs> for folks.
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for appearing on today's episode of the Enabled in Academia podcast. It was lovely meeting with you.
1: Bye. Bye. Thanks Hina. Bye.